Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 tonight. So we begin our study of the 12 disciples. I'm sure you're impressed with my fancy series title, 12 Disciples. Life-changing. If I titled the message tonight, it would really be an introductory message to the study that I would title, Choosing the Ordinary for the Extraordinary. Choosing the Ordinary for the Extraordinary. Someone wisely said, when Jesus wanted to change the world, he made men, not manuscripts. Now, here's the context of that statement. Um, the writer was saying that in history, when somebody wanted to leave a legacy, they would write it down. So they would pin their philosophies or their ideas or their thoughts on paper and hopefully get published in a book that would live long after them. The most modern example of that, there's, there's all kinds of examples of that throughout history in, in philosophy and, and poems and all of that. But, but presidents today, doesn't it seem like every one of them um, write a book about their presidency or about their life? Um, I think they do that, number one, to make money. But number two, um, I think it is their heart's desire to, to, to leave a trace of their legacy Behind them, some of the things that they accomplished, some of of the ideals that they stand for and stood for while they held the office of a president. They want to make an impact past their lifetime with the manuscripts that they write. But that's not what Jesus chose to do. Jesus chose initially to change the world through the lives of 12 very ordinary men. And that's why we're going to study the lives of these 12 original followers of Jesus who would eventually become disciples, eventually become apostles. Because I think there's something to learn in every one of their lives that we can apply to our lives as we try to follow after Christ ourselves. And certainly as a church, as we try to fulfill our mission in helping people follow and find or find and follow Jesus Christ. Tonight, we're not going to start with a specific disciple. Um. We're going to start with the list in Luke 6 of all 12 and study generally how they were chosen and how, were they, how they were trained by Jesus. What I found to be true in my own life as a preacher, which I already confessed, and I know it's, it's true in your life as a layperson as well, is that we just don't know a lot about all 12 of these guys. Some of us know quite a bit about Peter. He was the ringleader. We know quite a bit probably about Uh, the Apostle John, um, a few of the others that were more prominent, but there's a lot of them that we don't even know their names, let alone the details that surrounded their lives. There are some details, uh, a lot of details for some disciples, and and there are a few details for others. But the, the truth of the matter is we need to know as much about these men as God wants us to know through his word. I recently read an interesting article about William Tyndale. He's the one who pioneered the translation of Scripture into the English language, and he actually was persecuted, martyred at the stake for doing so. Um, One of the main things I read that motivated Tyndale to translate Scripture into the common language was a survey of the English clergy that revealed that most of them did not even know who the 12 apostles were. Only a few of them could name more than four or five of the apostles. And that that was one of the things that motivated him because he wanted all the English missionaries and preachers 
to, to be able to understand the lives of these men. And I would agree that given just how instrumental these men were in the early church, given that these men were, were responsible for the initial spread of the gospel, the, uh, the writing of the New Testament that we hold in our hands tonight, I think they deserve our attention and our study. So let's begin with this list in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12 through 16, and then we will we'll, we'll get into it tonight. And it came to pass in those days that he went out to a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. We'll talk about apostles here in a little bit. Here's the list. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew's brother. James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotus. And Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. What I want to do for our study tonight is show you three stages that Jesus took with these men to make them into a group of disciples that would later turn the world upside down. Because these are the same three stages he uses in our lives today as disciples and followers of his. So here's stage number one, I would call the stage of fellowship. This is where the disciples were converted. Turning your Bible to Matthew chapter four, would you do that? Turn back to Matthew chapter four, that's the first gospel. There, if you don't have your Bible, then I'll have it on the screen. But I would prefer if you would turn in your Bible tonight to these passages of Scripture. Um, if we have time, I'll, I'll continue to call you to turn. If we run out of time, then we'll just reference the screen. Matthew chapter 4, this is very familiar with, with Mark chapter 1 and the verses that I studied in verses 14 through 20 this last Sunday morning in my sermon. Uh, but we're going to read them and, and, and kind of look at this stage of conversion here um, with the disciples. And Jesus, verse 18, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Now what's important to realize when it, when it came to Jesus choosing his disciples here is that their conversion always preceded their call. Jesus saved them before he called them. It's important because there are a lot of people in churches today that have gotten this out of order. Meaning they're trying to serve God in order to be saved. But, but what we learn from Jesus' working in these men's lives is that there must first be a commitment to making Jesus the Lord of our life before we make serving him the priority of our life. It's very, very important. Now look back at verses 18 and 19. I want you to notice something interesting. And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea. Now watch this. For they were fishers. Now look at verse 19. And he saith unto him, follow me and I will make you fishers. Of men. So here Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees two fishermen casting their nets into the water, fishing. The Bible even says the reason for, for why they were doing this was because they were fishers. They were fishermen. And that's, in other words, it wasn't just what they did. This was literally who these men were. And what I take from this is that Jesus speaks to them in a way that they could understand. Virtually, he said, hey, you guys like to fish? 
conversation might have went something like this. Yeah, we like to fish. It's, we love to fish. We live to fish. It's what we do. It's who we are. Well, then follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. You see, even though these men became part of a group that were later called the 12 disciples, they weren't called as a group. They were called as individuals. And the way that Jesus called them was as different and distinct as they were individually. So to the fishermen, he would say, if you'll follow me, I'll show you how to fish for men. But maybe to the farmers, he would say something like, let me talk to you about sowing and reaping. To the tax collectors, he would say something like, let me tell you how to invest into eternity. The point is that Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. And he'll call you to follow him in the language that you understand best. And those who witness in, in other cultures call this church. And, and really, this is something for us to learn when we're talking to people about the gospel. That it's not that one message, one gospel message fits all, but, but it's not that one, one presentation fits all. And we would do well to be able to do what missionaries do often in other cultures and speak the heart language of the people that God puts in our path to witness to. The, the way that I might talk to Wes Payton, who is a blue-collared bus mechanic, might be different than the way I would talk to Bradley Kalaski, who's a financial advisor. Right? I'm not going to connect the same exact way with every single person. And so Jesus was very, very good at treating individuals like individuals. I like that point. And he knows, by the way, who you are. And he knows what, what you are. And he knows exactly how to call you to himself in the way that you'll understand best. And so before I go on to the second stage, I really don't want to take for granted that everybody in this building tonight is saved. I, I, I just had dinner with Coach Lori Navarro uh, about a month ago in our home. And, and every time we get together, it seems like she tells me her testimony as if I've never heard it before. And, and you know when the first time she heard the gospel in this church was? On a Wednesday night. She, she, she came and, and, and she came with her nieces and nephews. Here's her testimony, in fact. Um, of her conversion is, is that one Sunday morning she, she grew up Catholic and she went to the Catholic church with her nephew and her niece as she did every opportunity she could get on the weekends. And this particular Sunday she walked out of the Catholic church and she looked at her niece Brianna and she said, Bree, we aren't going back here. I do not understand a word he says. I feel no different when I leave. I've never been changed. They never asked me to open my Bible. Something's not right here. And so she began to go and look at different churches in our town. And, and, and what happened is Mike Puthers um, actually saw her in the hallway or in the breakers when Mike was teaching and coaching at the high school and invited Lori to come. Well, the same day that he invited her to come, she had a soccer trip. And, and it, was, it was a bus driver, Tom Fisher, who was visiting, just started visiting, come to our church at that time. And he actually had one of our worship guides, our bulletins on the dash of the bus. And it, it, that was the year we did By His Grace for His Glory, I think. Or maybe it was the year before that, I can't remember. But it had our church's theme on there. And she's like, this must be God telling me to go to Fellowship Baptist Church. And so she, she, she popped in on a Wednesday, sat in the back, and she says, you know what, I've been to a lot of churches in Liberal, and, and when I went in, it's like nobody talked to me. The moment I got in there, I was bombarded. Bill, she mentioned you and Deanne's name, came and shook her hand, and the pastor came back there and shook her hand as well, and she's like, man, I, I think 
this place might be the place. And then pastor out of all, he was preaching a series on heaven that night on a Wednesday night and was on basically talking about heaven's alternative. And by the way, that's not a coincidence. You don't just preach a message on hell on a Wednesday night on purpose, right? How would you like guys like that? If I just busted out my gospel gun and went to fire on you with, with hell, fire and brimstone, right? It, it's good for us, by the way, to hear about hell. I'm not saying it's a bad message to preach. It's just not something that a preacher defaults to on Wednesday. This is a God thing. And she heard that and pastor said, hey, do you, I, I still do home visits and and, and if, if you ever want me to come by, I'll do that. He said that from the pulpit. And she came, went out the foyer that night and said, I'll take one of those home visits. And to this day, she says, I have no idea what I was doing because I don't let people in my home. But that must have been God. And story has it where they go that next week. My mom and him and, and Lori's in there. And she already got, has Kleenexes at the table crying as the Holy Spirit's going to work on her. They lead her to Christ that night in her home. She gets baptized and... And the rest is history. The point in, in saying that is not just to encourage you tonight about salvation, but to tell you that even on a Wednesday night, somebody might pop into our church that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I don't know the language to speak to you that you'll understand tonight, but the Holy Spirit does. And God does. And if there's never been a time in your life where you recognize that Jesus Christ died for your sin, he was buried, was raised again from the dead so that you can have victory over sin. If you've never called upon him to be the Lord of your life, like I just read that, that Andrew did and Simon did and James and John, if, if that's never happened to you, boy, I would love to have a home visit. We still do home visits. And I would love to be able to do that and show you the gospel from the word of God. It begins, discipleship, following Christ always begins with conversion. That's where it began for these guys. You understand they were normal guys. Normal guys that just didn't know the Lord. And that's where Jesus started. He started with their salvation. And that's where we've got to start with people. Okay, here, here's the second stage. It's the stage of discipleship. These were where, this is where the disciples were conformed. Look at Matthew 4 again in verse 19. And he saith unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now I want you to notice a very important word there. And it's the word make. He said, I will make you, not you'll make yourself, not you'll evolve into this, not somebody else will help you to become what I want you to become. No, Jesus said, if you follow me, I'll make you into what I want you to become. I love that because it's not up to me. I just have to cooperate with what Jesus wants to do in my life. The word make is a little Greek word that means to create. To produce, to work, to accomplish, to perform, to act. It's a word that tells us that when it comes to following Jesus, there is no such thing as a self-made man. We come to Jesus and he begins to work. He begins to create. He begins to accomplish. He begins to make us into what he wants us to be. That's why these men are often called disciples. That word in the Greek means basically to be a student. And I'm telling you, these 12 very ordinary men had a lot to learn. Jesus knew that before he could send them out, he kind of had to pull them in. It was absolutely crucial that they spend hours alone with him, going through discipleship class with him, having a ministry internship with him, being conformed into his image as he was readying them for the task at hand. I just began to think through some of the ways that these men had to, had to grow and be discipled. I wrote down a few. I'll put them on the screen. I found that they lack spiritual understanding. 
I mean, New Testament authors uh, call these guys dull at times, blind, Jesus calls them at times. They were thick-headed. Um, I'm just going to be honest, some of them were stupid at times. And, 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 and they were just slow to understand eternal things. So I began to think, how did Jesus uh, remedy their lack of spiritual understanding? Here's how, how he did it. He just kept teaching them. Boy, he was so patient with them. I love that. Man, have you, have you studied the Gospels where, where Jesus just teaches them the same thing over and over and over in a new and a fresh way? Don't we get impatient with people pretty easy? We quit on, sometimes we quit on the discipleship of people that join our church or just get saved. And we expect for them to, for, to have the spiritual understanding and discernment and disciplines and habits that, that it took us 25 years to get. Or 10 years to get or five years to get. We expect them to have it after six weeks of first steps class. It's a process. Spiritual understanding. We just got to do what Jesus did and we got to teach. In fact, after his resurrection, he stuck around for 40 days. And Acts chapter one and verse three says that during that time, he was speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So, so every opportunity he got, he was teaching these men, trying to give them the spiritual understanding they lacked. Here, here's uh, another thing they lacked, humility. Listen, these men were self-absorbed. This, this stemmed from a lack of understanding of what Jesus was all about. They thought he was coming to, to overthrow the Roman Empire and to be a political leader. And so they were uh, jockeying back and forth on who was going to be at his right hand and who was going to be his, his, his vice president, basically, and, and, and who was going to be at the top of the ladder. I mean, these men were self-absorbed and self-promoting and self-centered. And they spent a, a ton of time arguing about themselves. And so I began to think, how did Jesus overcome their lack of humility? You know what he did? He took a towel and a bucket. And he got on his knees and he cleaned their dirty, stinky feet. And he said, this is leadership. It's not sitting on top of the throne, pointing your finger and bossing people around, signing paychecks. Leadership is getting low. Leadership is serving people that the world would say are below you. That's what leadership is. These men had so much to develop in the area of humility, but Jesus taught them by demonstrating it. Ultimately, he taught them by demonstrating humility on the cross where he became a lamb when he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. What humility. The disciples lacked faith. Four times in the gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith. Mark chapter four and verse 40, he asked them, how is it that ye have no faith? At the end of Mark's gospel, after the resurrection, Jesus rebukes them for unbelief and hardness of heart. So I thought, man, how did he remedy that? What, what, what did he have to speak to their lack of faith? Well, he just kept doing miracles and wonderful works. And the miracles in front of their very eyes were not primarily for the benefit of unbelievers. Most of his miracles, if you just study them in context, were deliberately done in the presence of his disciples. You know why? So that their faith could be strengthened. Yeah. They also lacked commitment. That commitment. You see, while the crowds were cheering and, and the miracles were being multiplied, they were thrilled. We're going to talk about this on Sunday morning. But as the soldiers came into the garden to arrest Jesus, what did they do? They ran. Their leader, Peter, ended up denying Jesus and swearing that he never even knew him. 
And you know what Jesus did to, to help their lack of commitment? He interceded for them in prayer. If you study John 17, you'll see the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed. And he prayed this, help them remain faithful. Yeah. And then they lacked power. Remember those few instances where, where, where people came to them and said, can you heal him? And this was after they had spent many days successfully doing ministry, like healing diseases and casting out demons out of people. And then, and then the guy brought, brought his sick son who, who had all kinds of problems and, and it was, they, 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 couldn't, they couldn't do it. And Jesus came to them and said, oh ye of little faith, that their faithlessness led, uh, left them unable to harness the power that was available to them. Jesus noticed that he taught them. You know what he did? Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he left them the Holy Spirit. That was his remedy. He sent the Holy Spirit to indwell and empower them. And man, the, the promise of the Holy Spirit in them was fulfilled in a mighty, mighty way. Now, I mention all of that to tell you this. I'm inclined to look at this group of men and say, why did Jesus choose them? Now, seriously. Why did he single out men with no understanding, no humility, no faith, no commitment, and no power? Why would Jesus choose them? Here's why. Because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Because God specializes at making weak things become strong. God confounds the wise through the foolish. But that's not how we're hardwired to think, is it? Not in 2021. We make our choices about people generally based on their strengths, not their weaknesses. In fact, weaknesses tend to deter us from using certain people or even entering a relationship with certain people. I read something kind of humorous earlier this week as I was studying this message. And it suggested, this is so funny, how it might look if Jesus were picking his 12 disciples today and decided to use the same methods and criteria that the corporate world uses today. And here, here's, what a, here's what a response from the, the management consultants of 2021 would look like via an email. To Jesus, the son of Joseph, Woodcrafters Carpenter Shop, Nazareth 35922. I just made up that uh, zip code. Email address is jesuscarpenter.com. It's a fake email address, so don't try to get through to them that way. From Jordan Management Consultants, Jerusalem jmc.org. Here's the email. Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. We've not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and a vocational consultant. It is the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of anger. Andrew has no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, place personal interest over company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel it our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus, and particularly Simon the Zeller, have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. Thaddeus is definitely sensitive, but he wants to make everyone happy. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new business venture. I think that's pretty close. 
in all seriousness. And it makes me say this. I am glad that though man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. I'm thankful that Jesus can look past what we are to what he can see that we can become. Aren't you glad that Jesus knows you even better than you know yourself and he knows what you can be and ought to be in God's wonderful plan? I'll tell you this, I'm glad. See, I'm glad that he could take a loud mouth like Peter and a doubter like Thomas and a softy like John and a zealot like Simon and power hungry people like James and John and cowards like they all were and turn them into some of the most courageous Christians this world has ever known. You know why I'm glad about that? Because if he could do it way back then with these cats, he can do it with me too. Dr. Tom Malone said it is a prominent truth of scripture that he does not call people because they are fit, but he fits people because they are called. If you're a child of God, listen to me, you are his workmanship. And he is wanting to conform you daily into the image of his son. I don't care how young or old you are. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care what your family background is. If you will just say yes, he can use you as ordinary as you are to do something extraordinary in this world. I mean that. I mean that. Some people look at preachers. And, and, and they tend to think that, that because they, they have developed an ability with God's help to articulate the scripture or to speak in front of people or to whatever, that, that they're, they're a caliber above anybody they're speaking to. And I find it interesting that you could probably talk to most preachers, including myself, And you can go back to when they first started preaching. I was a senior in high school. In fact, right after I surrendered to preach, my first message, Brother Knutson had me preach in the old gym in morning exercises. I remember Brother Coleman Gabbard, our our, uh, missionary in New Zealand, was back on on furlough and he was in there. And and I remember spending a lot of time to write that message. And I got up there and it was it was horrific. It was awful. I don't know what it was about, but it was not good. I can tell you that. I, I, I could sing any day in front of people. I couldn't speak in front of people. I say that to, to tell you this, that, that I haven't always been able to stand in front of people and preach the gospel like, like I do every Sunday. That is totally the Lord. The Lord does that. And there are people that, that, that start maybe with first steps discipling people or, or undertake a, a, a children's Sunday school class or, 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 or will, uh, will, will take a, be a connection group leader, whatever the case might be. And, and it's just amazing when God calls somebody to positions like that, he doesn't always call them because they're strong. He calls them because he can make them strong. And, 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 and my desire for you to learn from these disciples is just be willing just be willing. I look at my Aunt Candy and, and, and I know her testimony. And if you don't know her testimony, you should just get to know her testimony. I guarantee you she'll tell it to you. Shares it all the time. But, but we, I look at her and see how effective she is in teaching the Bible. And, and I look at how effective she is in one-on-one discipleship. I mean, literally, you can ask Brother Mike. Like, like if we have somebody, um, a hard case, we're like, Send him to candy. And she's gifted, isn't she, Uncle Rich? Very, very gifted in that. But, but 
she, ha she hasn't grown up in the church. She didn't grow up in children's church and in Sunday school with that being modeled to her. She, 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 she went through a, a, a messy divorce before she came to know Christ. She was into alcoholism before she came to Christ, got invited by her daycare provider week after week after week, and then she finally came and the Holy Spirit worked on her and she got saved and she was a mess. A mess. She never picked up a Bible and taught anybody. What did God see in her? He saw strength. He saw strength when she first got saved. We would have never said that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On paper, she is a perfect candidate to be a single ladies Bible class teacher. Oh, yeah, she's right there. No, we would have denied her application. But look what God does. Because people say yes. Now, now, obviously, God put inside of her the gift to teach. And, and don't think that, I mean, some of you, God's not going to give you that gift. So... If you can't teach, I'll, I'll recognize if you can't teach. And, and if you can't sing, I'll recognize that pretty quick too. Um, God can't necessarily take someone that can't carry a tune. Well, he can, but he's not, he just doesn't work that way. He's not going to magically enable you to, you know, sing like, uh, well, like me or whatever. But um, <laughs> it's the only person that came to my mind. I mean, come on. Just kidding. The point is, God puts something, God sees God sees something in you that he can, he can cause to flourish and he can cause to grow and he can water it and, and he can help it. And it's amazing if you'll just say, OK, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. It can be big, small, behind the scenes, on a platform, off a platform, in a front door, in the, in the seat of a bus. But if you say yes to God, watch how he just takes what's in you that might be small and weak at the time and causes it. I've seen it in our musicians, how they said, OK, I'll give it a shot. And, and, and they, they've worked on that and God has watered that and it's flourished. I've seen it in our choir. My dad took over our choir, six or nine people in the choir. And boy, God watered that sucker and people applied themselves. And, and now we get to enjoy music ministry. Enjoy, man, I, I could mention all kinds of examples. People just say yes and God does the rest. Just what God does. Let me give you the last stage. It's the stage of apostleship. I don't have a lot of time. So we'll reference these verses on the screen. This is when the disciples were commissioned in Matthew 28. Look at these verses. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore... And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the earth. Now this is where I believe the disciples were commissioned. And they went from disciples to apostles. Now real quick, what's an apostle? Because that is different from a disciple. An apostle, the word itself means messengers. It means sent ones. So these 12 men, listen closely, were, were authorized representatives of Jesus Christ who commissioned them. They heeded his command in Matthew 28. They had his authority, he said in Matthew 28. They heralded his message. They bore his spirit. And when they spoke, they literally were speaking for Jesus. The apostles were, were given gifts uh, to perform miracles through healing and prophecy and speaking in tongues. Um, some still believe that, that the office of an apostle still exists today. I want to be very, very clear on what our church believes, that, that the office of an apostle is no longer necessary. We believe that the sign gifts that come along with the apostles, the prophecy, the tongues, the healing, we believe they were transitional. 
in nature. Now, I believe God used the apostles who were all eyewitnesses of the Lord's resurrection to preach and write his word. I believe he, he used those sign gifts to validate their message and their ministry. But now we have the full canon of scripture. And I don't believe that the office of an apostle or the sign gifts are necessary anymore to validate the word of God. The word of God is complete. I think the, the office of an apostle being expired is actually um, implied in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 19 and 20. Look at this verse on the screen real quick. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners. He's talking to those believers in Ephesus, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, the church, and are built upon the, watch that word, foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. How many understand that you only have to lay a foundation once? And the apostles were absolutely foundational for the work of the gospel and the beginning of the church. But, but, but after uh, the word of God was complete, uh, then the office of the pastor and the office of the deacons came along in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And that became the leadership offices in the church. That's why as Baptists, we believe in two offices. We believe in the office of a pastor and the office of a deacon. Now back to the 12 apostles. They, they were tasked with this great commission and each of them were committed to it, extremely so. And, and they ultimately gave their life for it. History records that all but one of them were killed for their testimony. Only the apostle John is said to have lived to old age. And even he was persecuted severely for Christ's sake. He was exiled to the island of Patmos where, where he wrote the book of Revelation. I want you to know that we are absolutely indebted to these men for their commitment to the gospel. That's why we need to know about them. I mean, these guys are heroes. They were committed to the gospel. Literally, we're saved today. We have a church today. We have a Bible today because these, were, these men were commissioned by Jesus to preach the gospel and they did so with a great level of commitment and they died in doing so. That's why when you hear me talking about these men, I'm going to do so with passion. Because we can learn so much from these men who were willing to be crucified upside down. Exiled to a tiny island all by themselves. Beheaded for our faith. Now I know that, that we aren't apostles today. They, that, that office doesn't exist. But do you, do you know what does exist? Ambassadors. Because we can, we, we can resemble their dedication to helping people find and follow Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, now, ye are, now then ye are ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador? A mouthpiece. An ambassador is a representative. You don't have to be an apostle to tell others about Jesus. Every one of us have the same commission. Preach the gospel to every creature. And we likely, none of us will ever die for doing so. Probably none of us will have to. Shouldn't that cause us to share it more aggressively than even these men did? But yet we are so passive in our sharing of the gospel compared to these men. Are we not? We're passive. We ought to use our freedom, our relationships, and our church to be more aggressive than we ever have before in helping people find and follow Jesus. That's why we exist, church. That's why we exist. So I just want to ask you, who have you shared the gospel with lately? 
Who have you sat down and had coffee with and, and given your testimony to? Here's what we do in America. We come to church on Sunday. We go to work on Monday. And, and we go to work on Tuesday. And all week long, we rest on Saturday. We come back to church on Sunday. And, and we have these compartments we live in. And we fail to really remember that the Holy Spirit goes with us everywhere. And the gospel goes with us everywhere. And seldom do we ever mix those compartments. We get in such a habit of productivity and busyness and life that we do church on Sunday. But on Monday, we don't share the gospel with anybody. We don't even look for an opportunity. Our hand is to the plow and we're providing the bread for our family. That's it. I mean, pray tell me. If everyone in this church takes that approach to discipleship, to following Christ, where is Fellowship Baptist Church going to be in two decades? I'm sorry to use candy again. I, I don't mean to put her on a pedestal. She just keeps coming to mind. Or it could be those glasses you're wearing. They're sticking out to me. They're getting my attention. I like them. Squints is where you got those. I'm confident. I've heard so many testimonies of people that have been buying insurance in her office and she has shared the gospel in her office. By the way, she owns her business. She can do that. Some of you don't have that liberty. I, I get that. I understand that. But man, that's just an example of the fact that, that you don't just carry the gospel with you to church. Man, you have the message that can literally change somebody's life forever. That can salvage a marriage. That can mend a broken heart that can break an addiction. Somebody told you. Somebody invited you. But because you get nervous and I get nervous, because we hate rejection and we're full of pride, because we're distracted by busyness and productivity, we lose sight of the fact that we are placed on this earth commissioned, not as apostles, but as ambassadors. I must say as a pastor, I'm so proud of some of you and the way you bring people to church. It's amazing. Seriously, I'm looking at some of you and you are really, really, really super good at that. I'm so appreciative of that. But, but I'm also, uh, I think, looking at some people that have never brought anybody to church with them. Probably looking at some people tonight who can't remember the last time you sat across a table from somebody and you were brave and bold enough with the Spirit's help to share the gospel with them. Hey, it's not just the preacher's job. I'm just saying, man, if, if, if we don't collectively take this mission upon ourselves like the disciples did, I, I just really fear where Fellowship Baptist Church will be and other churches will be in three decades from now. At best, we'll be full with consumers. That's about it. Not disciples. And so I think the main thrust of this message and probably messages to come is going to be this. I hope that these men will inspire us to help people find and follow Jesus more than we ever have before. To try to weave the Lord Jesus Christ into other areas of our life. Not just take Him to worship with us, but take Him to work with us. Take Him to the family reunion with us. Take Him to the lake with us. Take Him to ball practice with us. Take Him to our hobby with us. And just, will you do that this week? Will you find at least one opportunity to somehow get into a gospel conversation. Can I give you an idea? 
If you're around somebody that, that, that you're burdened for, or a coworker, can I, you can do it via text, you can do it face to face. Simply ask them this, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? Ask them that question. And most people, they might be taken off guard if you've never asked them that before, but most people really appreciate that. You can even ask your waiter or waitress. Hey, before I leave, you've done a good job tonight. Is there, is there anything I can pray for you about? And I promise my wife and I will pray for you tonight when we go home. You can tell your, ask your boss that. Ask a coworker that. Ask another parent who's taking their kid to the same practice. Whatever. Ask a patient that you serve that, that you're close enough to. Whatever the case might be, just simply ask, hey, can I pray for you? And that might plant a seed. And now they know, oh, you know God. And you care about me. And there's a lot of power in that. Because when they get low, guess who they're going to remember to go to? Probably the person that said, is there anything I can pray for you about? So let's plant some seeds this week. Let's be ambassadors this week for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you agree with the Bible, say amen.